Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. We are continuing our onslaught against Valentine's Day mm-hmm. and all things Valentine'sy and Valentine'sian. And uh, today we obviously have to take on one of the big ones, kissing. Yeah, because I mean, what could be more emblematic or even like a physical embodiment of love and hearts but the kiss? Yeah. And we mean to dissemble this. And show it for what it really is. And that's a good question. What is it, right? We're going get to get to that. Is it something we learn? Is it something that we do instinctively? And if we do it instinctively, why are we doing it? What possible service uh, could, could, could there be in placing your lips on another creature's lips and then moving those lips around? Yeah, and then what happens bacterially? What's the profile going on there? Um, and before we dive into some of that and even some of the history of the kiss, wanted to mention that Chip Walter, who was writing for Scientific American, has a great sort of, like, let's unfold the kiss from this uh, starry-eyed perspective. It says, quote, when passion takes a grip, a kiss locks two humans together in an exchange of scents, tastes, textures, secrets, and emotions. We kiss furtively, lasciviously, gently, shyly, hungrily, and exuberantly. We kiss in broad daylight and in the dead of night. We give ceremonial kisses, affectionate kisses, Hollywood air kisses, kisses of death. And, at least in fairy tales, pecks that revive princesses. Nice. I mean, and indeed, there are a lot of different kisses. There's, there's no... There's no single kiss. There's, in fact, uh, if you go by the work of uh, 17th century German poet, literary historian, and translator Martin von Kempe, uh, he wrote a thousand-page encyclopedia of kissing that recognized 20 different varieties, uh, including two uh, notable ones: the kiss bestowed by superiors on inferiors, which we don't really get around here at How Stuff Works. Um, no, thankfully. And uh, and also hypocritical kiss. But you mentioned the the kiss of uh, the kiss of death, the mm-hmm. kiss of doom. I mean, that's a big one too. It instantly brings my mind to uh, the Godfather, and of course, uh, uh, the st- you know the story of Judas and Christ uh, betraying yes. him with a kiss. But the kiss goes back far uh, far deeper in history than that. It does. The first documentation of kissing is in the four Vedic Sanskrit texts written in India around 1500 BCE. And it describes the act. And then you have an Indian epic poem, Mahabharata, which mentions kissing. And this actual this poem was uh, passed down orally for centuries, and then it was finally written down in 350 CE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually talked about the Mahabharata before. Mm-hmm. Um, tells the story of the great rivalry between uh, the Kurus and the Pandavas, uh, starting in the middle of the first millennium. Um, BCE, and you have gods and kings and all sorts of wonderful stuff. There's a there's a great uh, play and film adaptation of the play uh, out there that uh, the English language that I definitely recommend people check out. Yeah, it's a very rich narrative. Mm-hmm. Now, another very rich narrative uh, that features kissing is the Kama Sutra, yes, uh, which was written in the sixth century. Now, you throw in a little bit of uh, Alexander the Great invading India, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, public kissing becoming a thing, and it begins to spread, say, to the Roman Empire. And it sort of comes out of the, the bedroom or the homes of people and out onto the streets. Though not entirely so. I mean, this is this is very much a Western thing. Yeah, I, the, the, the stats tend to say that uh, it's practiced by at least 90% of cultures among sexual and romantic partners. 
and that 10% is interesting when you start looking back at, say, the accounts of, uh, of Charles Darwin, uh, in his book, uh, The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. He, uh, he talked about, uh, the rubbing of noses as an alternative to the kiss practiced, uh, for instance, among, uh, the Inuits, where we get the idea of the Eskimo kiss, the mm-hmm. rubbing of the noses. Um, and you see also across Africa, the Pacific, and in the Americas, um, plenty of uh, examples of peoples that didn't really do the kiss until Europeans introduced it to them. Yeah, um, although, especially with uh, with the sort of nuzzling of noses, that mm-hmm. is an intimate act, right? Yes. It's just not uh, as much of a bacterial exchange. And I'm even thinking about Hawaiian culture in which um, there's this bowing of the heads next to each other and you exchange a breath, so you come very close to each other. Mm-hmm. The idea is that you're... You're, you're meeting each other and taking in a breath. And, uh, when some of the European explorers showed up, they wouldn't do this with the Hawaiian people and they became known as the Howleys, H-A-O-L-E, uh. the no breathers, hmm. that they wouldn't get that close to each other and exchange this moment. I was reading that during the, uh, the ravages of the Black Death, uh, 14th century Europe, you saw kissing, uh, falling out of fashion. Uh, because obviously there's a, a lot of black death going along around, so you kind of uh, cut yeah. back on some of your uh, your interpersonal physical uh, touching. But uh, while kissing fell away, licking, sniffing, and uh, nibbling of the eyebrows comes into play mm. as an alternative, which, again, to your point, kind of uh, fills the same void, the, the close, intimate uh, physical contact that uh, that makes up for the locking of lips. Right. So even though there may not be that specific expression of kissing, there are other uh, expressions like the nuzzling of mm-hmm. eyebrows. That's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That I don't know how of, I feel about that. It sounds kind of hard to do. I mean, especially depending on the uh, on, on how big the nose is. Mm-hmm. Like if you have uh, like a flatter nose, I feel like the otherwise you just have to you have to navigate around a lot of nose in some cases. All I'm saying. Yeah, my kid and husband are in for a treat tonight. I'm going to see how the nuzzling of eyebrows goes. Um, well, here's the deal with kissing, though. It is such an important feature of the way that we communicate that there is actually a. Uh, field of study of it called philematology. Ah, yes. Yes, and those people who are committed to studying uh, kissing have brought us a bunch of information about its effects on the brain and the body. Because if you think about it, it is really a full body event when you have a good smooch going on. It's true, yeah. I mean, just start breaking it down on a physical level, and just on a physical level, without getting into uh, you know the nervous system and, uh, and hormones and, and what have you. Uh, Think just in terms, for instance, of the uh, of the muscles, right? You have the uh, orbicularis oris, and this runs around the outside of your mouth. Yeah, this is if you purse your lips together, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to talk like that. Like then, a puckered kind of a yeah, thing? Yeah, like a pucker. Mm-hmm. Those, that's the orbicularis. Okay, so that's the big one. That's, yeah. I mean, as we're going to discuss, there are a lot of additional muscles, but that's one of the main ones that you're flexing when you go in for a smooch. Because then you have several other muscles around the lips that are moving. You have the zygomaticus major, the zygomaticus minor. You want to use them both, of course. All told, we're talking about 34 different muscles here involved in the smooch. Yeah, and about 112 postural muscles. So think of your neck, back, and your chest muscles Mm -hmm. all being engaged in a full-on assault kiss. Yeah, uh, some of the x-ray images we were looking um, at when we were putting together this podcast, and indeed the image that should be the uh, the cover image for this episode on the landing page for this uh, episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, uh, you, you, you get this sense of this muscular face, this communication array that we use to communicate and interact with the world, and it's all... 
it's all involved in this kiss, just on a muscular level. It is, and it's uh, exquisitely sensitive stuff going on mm-hmm. here. Because if you think about it, it all begins with the thinnest layer of skin on our body. And, of course, I'm talking about the lips, which are among the most densely populated with sensory neurons of any body region. And, as a result, are about 100 to 200 times more sensitive than the fingertips. So think of that, that just that initial... Uh, meeting of the lips mm-hmm. is causing a lot of data to be uploaded to your brain and, and carried there, which is creating this cascading effect in your body. Yeah, a lot of it's subconscious, as we'll get to in, into yeah. as well. They do have nerves. They fire off five of our 12 cranial nerves. Uh, so you have all this, uh, this information firing through the nervous system, sensory information going to the brain uh, for processing. Yeah, and that's right. So it's shuttling around all sorts of messages um, about temperature, taste, smell, and movements of this entire smooch going on. And the somatosensory cortex, which extends from one side of the brain to the other, and it has a large portion that's devoted to picking up signals from the lips, the tongue, nose, and cheek areas, and then it maps that. And in that map, the lips loom really large. It's kind of like a neon sign here when you're kissing because the size of each of those represented body parts or regions is proportional to the density of its nerve endings. So again, as I mentioned, those lips have a ton of nerve endings. And when they're engaged on that map, it's just saying, hey, this is huge. This is important. Yeah, it brings me back to the, uh, the homunculus image that uh, a lot of you probably seen, like not the actual medieval uh, uh, alchemical homunculi. Little the, dude. Yeah, not the little dude that you're growing in a, in a vat, uh, though, though I, I love that. But the representation of the human body as it would appear if size was determined by nerve endings. So mm-hmm. it's just like a little squat little dude with these enormous lips. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so all of this is going on. And as a result, you have neurotransmitters and hormones being released like dopamine. Yep. Uh, as we know, it's a neurotransmitter associated with feelings of desire and reward. And it spikes in response to novel experiences, which is interesting because that sort of explains why a kiss with someone new can feel so special. Yeah. You know, there's a, a little bit of the butterflies and the nerves going on, but also this is new data that you're taking and that's really making the dopamine sing. Yeah, your brain's saying, my tongue has never been inside this mouth before. There's all sorts of new information. The process. Yep, and kissing also stimulates adrenaline, which helps our bodies to anticipate what might occur next. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all part of that uh, that's that stereotypical passionate kiss. You know, you, if you're watching a film and you see two people just sort of having this very stale moment together, locking lips, mm-hmm. you're not buying it. You know, they're not they're not releasing adrenaline. It's not getting them ramped up. Yeah, it reminds me also of Gustav Klimt's The Kiss, which is that mm-hmm. all-enfolding, encompassing kiss that's, you know, the, in the representation of two people kissing, just this ornate uh, display of colors and what looks like sensations in that painting. Yeah, I mean, they the two individuals in a really passionate kiss should look like they are trying to eat each other with their mouths. Yeah, yeah. it should become like an Ouroboros thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so we also have heart rates increasing and oxygen flowing more freely through the blood vessels, pupils dilating. Sort of interesting. Yeah, this one I read is, uh, this, this supports the, sorry. Yeah, this one I read, uh, might be the reason a lot of people close their eyes during a kiss. Because otherwise you're just staring into like really big, wide, crazy eyes the whole time. And that can be awkward. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the bacterial exchange of a good old French kiss. 
All right, we're back. And this is where things are going to get uh, a lot more interesting because a lot of what we've covered are sort of the basic mechanics of the kiss. And mm-hmm. so a lot of you are probably thinking, well, of course, a lot of muscles are engaged. Of course, uh, dopamine, serotonin, adrenaline, what have you, is released. Uh, that seems to happen in any kind of human experience uh, that we've discussed that's worth discussing, right? Yeah, like we, we see a piece of chocolate cake, same thing happens, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you start looking at the bacterial level here, when you start looking at the kiss as a convergence of microbiomes. Uh, that's where things start really getting trippy and taking us a lot, a lot further from the realm of passionate Valentine's Day kisses and Hollywood uh, uh, hero saves the day kisses. Yeah, this is where we're going to take that kiss and just make it the anti-Valentine's kiss right now. And we'll do that by discussing what is in it. Because you got that saliva mm-hmm. and you've got mucous membranes. And that's in about nine milliliters of water and about 0.7 milligrams of that is protein, 0.18 milligrams of organic compounds, delicious, and 0.71 milligrams of different fats. And then you have a little bit of sodium chloride at 0.45 milligrams and maybe even up to 700 different types of bacteria. And although it's it's you know somewhat rare, it's possible to transmit mononucleosis, herpes simplex one, and gastric ulcers. So those are a couple of examples of germs that can be swapped and lurking in your kissy's mouth. It's basically two train cars arriving at the station at the same time, and they both unload, and it's just people crossing each other to get onto each other, each train. Which is you basically just uh, describe the study. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> about the French kiss, uh, which was I, I love that there's even a study about a French kiss. And I, I love that um, they recruited 21 couples mm-hmm. in this study and had them snog for science, essentially. Yeah. And the, this covered people between the ages of 17 and 45. So it's not just a matter of finding a bunch of young kids and getting them to smooch. It's uh, so it's a little more varied than that. Um and uh, before they locked lips, uh, they, the participants uh, were asked to swab out to measure the amount and the kinds of bacteria present. So you're getting a good idea of what the current population is inside of mouth A and mouth B and C and D. Yeah, what's the baseline? Yeah. And then at this point, uh, they asked uh, one member of each kissing couple to uh, eat some probiotic yogurt. Now, um, and the, the reason here is because uh, uh, this contains strains of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria serve as markers to look for in the kiss E. Yeah, that's right, because they know that the researchers know that normally saliva would contain about 0.15% of lactobacillus mm-hmm. and bifidobacteria. But after these, these couples kissed and they exchanged their content, it was found out that the bacteria in the non-yogurt drinking partner rose to 0.54%. And this led the researchers to estimate that each intimate lip-locked and tongue-locked kiss that can last 10 seconds or more will transfer about 80 million bacteria into your partner's mouth. Okay. So you, people are probably wondering at this point, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it might sound, if you, especially if you're a little more on the, the germophobic side of things and maybe a little adverse to uh, you know, kissing strangers on the bus already, this might sound like just an unnecessary invasion of your mouth space. It does. It sounds a little terrible. Like, why would we do this in the first place? But the fact of the matter is, is that the higher the, di- the diversity of your microbiome in your mouth, well, the better it is for you. Okay. So the more kisses, the better. 
the more passionate, the better. I mean, I wouldn't as go as often as you can get them. I, if someone has, you know, an outbreak around their mouth, I wouldn't go kissing on them. Or if someone is sneezing, or yeah. you know, I would, I wouldn't pursue, you know, certain circumstances okay. of kissing. But yeah, in general, we I mean, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? Okay, so if uh, yeah, if, so the opportunity for a kiss comes about. And it's like 50-50 chance you would have taken it anyway. Definitely go ahead and have the kiss because there's a potential health benefit there. Possibly. But don't hold us to that. Okay. All right. We're going to do another break. And when we come back, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty here. We're going to get into the reasoning behind the kiss. And, uh, and again, this is going to, uh, to get into even uh, crazier territory. All right, we are back. Why do we kiss, Robert Lamb? Well, there are a few possibilities, right? Um, one of the big ones out there, and we, we touched on a little bit already, is that it's just something we started doing and that we learn. And you can point to those 10% uh, of humans that don't kiss and say, well, it's, it's evidently not really a human thing across the board, so is it really innate human behavior, or is it just something we saw on TV? Now, I had to think about this one a bit, and I imagine most of you can uh, can relate to this. Like, think back to your, your first kiss, or even just the first time you wanted to kiss somebody. Like, why did you want to kiss them? Like, what was it just because you saw it on a million movies and TV shows prior to that, and you saw it on every advertisement? Because especially here in the U.S., it's it's everywhere. In Western culture, it's the, the kiss is everywhere. So am I just picking up on all those signals and thinking that's what I'm supposed to do? That is what is ex- expected of me. I feel like at first it's a familial thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I look at that with my daughter, who's just started kissing her friends at age four. Right. No matter what. Because it was her expression of love. Mm-hmm. And now she's six and she's just had her first kiss from a boy or, or however she's casting it. And she also has watched a lot of different things that are depicting kisses among opposite gendered people. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I mean, she's not watching soap operas or anything, but she's watching <laughs> Ninjago and, you know, to be the characters have a little peck on the, the cheek or something. Um, so in that respect, I see it as cultural. However, it's not that easy just to say that's the answer. Right. So if we get into the idea that it is instinctive, there, uh, there are roughly three different uh, hypotheses for why we kiss. To arouse Obviously, sort of the ramping up to the actual uh, genetic da- genetic act of breeding with another person. Um, it's also the possibility that it's all about just cementing the relationship, and again, it has to do with 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 mate bonding, mm-hmm. um, or uh, essentially a testing out of a potential mate, kind of a a genetic test. And this is where things get really fascinating. Yeah, and I did want to mention too before we kind of dive into those topics. When when we talk about it being learned, um, there is a British zoologist and author Desmond Morris who, in the 1960s, first proposed that kissing could have evolved from the practice in which primate mothers chewed food for their young and then fed them mouth to mouth, so pre-masticating ah. food. And I feel like we talked about this. We before. have, and we've talked about I. I I feel like we've talked about that in terms of uh, passing on beneficial bacteria to the young as well. Exactly. So, again, mouth-to-mouth contact comes down to bacteria and the microbiome and, and very minute data uh, passed between uh, mother and child, between yes. two mates, etc. So evolutionary biology might say something along the lines of, so if chimps do it, so two could have our hominid 
And so might we. And in fact, there are, there are plenty of other cultures today that will actually do this and chew their food for their baby. And instead of using a grinder or something. I've chewed some food for, uh, for my son before. Yeah. I mean, not, not super recently, but it's been done. I mean, you, well, that's good because he's like 16 now, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you know, you find yourself in those situations where it's like, all right, I could get out a knife and, and cut this in half for him, or I can just bite the thing in half and give him part of it. Why not? Sure. And I mean, yeah, right. It's a convenient thing. And then you put the, the nursing equation with this, which it really gets sort of interesting here, because then the child may be learning to associate lip pressure with a loving act. Now consider that two thirds of all people turn their head to the right when kissing. And this is according to psychologist Anjur Gintrich of your university in Germany. And now stay with me. Why does that matter? Because this behavior may mirror the head-turning preference observed in babies when they're breastfed. Huh. Huh. It is. It's a huh moment, yeah. right? It's something to consider. I mean, it's- just the whole right-handed thing. Like, I'm trying to think back on, on on every kiss I've ever had if I turn to the right. And I guess that means that the other person turns to the right, too, right? Because it's Yeah, I know. Again, I'm, this I'm, is I'm going to piece it all together in my head. Another test for my husband and my daughter when I get home tonight. <laughs> So anyway, just a couple of things to think about, but there are other reasons that we do this. Indeed, and this is where it comes back to that old song, uh, It's in His Kiss. Right, like if he loves you or something yeah, like yeah. that. It's it, in his kiss, that song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the one. So in in a way, I'm not sure about love. Uh, love is a whole different uh, kettle of fish. But the idea of just pure genetic mate selection, just the, mm-hmm. the straight up genetic mission that, uh, that that governs our lives. Human A needs to find a human B so that they can procreate and uh, and do what their, their their genes are telling them to do. The idea here is that a kiss serves as a, an act of chemical profiling, that yeah. human A sticks its tongue into human B's mouth and, uh, and, and basically conducts a core sample of what that uh, that person consists of, particularly their immune system, uh-huh. and, uh, and then crunches that data to see if this is the type of person that they want to breed with. It's a real possibility, especially when you consider that a 2009 study of 1,000 college students by Gordon Gallup Jr., a professor of psychology at the University of Albany, showed that 59% of men and 66% of women reported that after feeling attracted to someone initially, the attraction ended after the first kiss. Huh. So that, just that one kiss put the kibosh on, hey, I don't think we should really go any further here. I was reading that uh, Cheryl Christenbaum, author of The Science of Kissing, found that women are attracted to men who have a different genetic code from their own immune system, which is, of course, the hallmark of sexual reproduction. You want to have two different sets of genes so you can produce variety in the offspring, right? Better, uh, uh, better, stronger uh, offspring that have a better potential for survival. Um and uh, this uh, this kind of uh, meshes with some of the stats that show that uh, that women tend to be more into the kiss than the men. Well, it is interesting to see that slight uptick that fifty nine percent of men and sixty six percent. Yeah, you could say to a certain smaller degree, women are a little bit more discriminating when it comes to trying to ferret out whether or not that person is compatible with them. Um, Gordon G. Gallup says that kissing is, quote, a complicated exchange of information, olfactory information, tactile information, and postural types of adjustments that may tap into underlying evolved and unconscious mechanisms that enable people to make determinations about the degree to which they are genetically incompatible. 
So to your point earlier, some of this is just subconscious information being processed. Yeah, because when you're engaged in that passionate kiss, uh, you, you're not thinking about all this. You're not thinking, all right, is this the one? Is this the, I wonder what their genes are like. I wonder if, uh, if we could, be, we can produce a child that's going to survive the next big plague or what have you. Uh, but under the surface, there's a lot, potentially a lot of computation going on. Yeah. And, uh, when you look at literature on kissing, a lot of people will cite the old sweaty armpit study of, mm-hmm. of women sniffing the, um, the t-shirts of men that have, you know, their sweat on it. And the conclusion to that was that they were attracted to men who had different um, scent profiles from themselves that indicated that the men's immune systems were different from them. So, again, the greater the diversity here, the better uh, for any sort of coupling and perhaps producing of a child later on. Yeah, and I do want to come back uh, as well to, uh, again, the the fact that a a passionate kiss especially – is is not just a, a matter of the lips. It's a it's potentially a full body kind of experience. You're mm-hmm. it's a, you're engaging in all of your senses. So it's a, it's like a full sensory readout of an individual, but uh, but at the uh, at the shallow end of the intimacy pool. Yeah, there was actually this reminds me of the writer Flannery O'Connor, and there was a fellow writer who tried to pursue a kiss with her, uh-huh. and he said that it was so devoid of passion, and and really any sort of um, connection that he called it uh, memento mori. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what she was communicating to him is. You know, there's absolutely nothing that's going to go on here. Memento Mori is in, in terms of the, uh, the the artistic tradition of having these images uh, that uh, that remind you that death is imminent. Uh, that death is the <laughs> yes. ultimate uh, uh, destination in life. Right. Okay. Well, it's like kissing the Grim Reaper. It's, it's a little, extent. yeah. I think there were no sparks there between the <laughs> two. Now, the big question becomes, of course, if humans do it, do other species kiss? Well... Basically, no. I mean, could, because when you when you start looking at the human kiss mm-hmm. and in all its uh, varied forms, and especially the passionate uh, human kiss, there's nothing really like apples to apples like it elsewhere in the animal kingdom. Yeah, some of its interpretation too, right? Mm-hmm. So you see great apes press their lips together to express excitement, affection, or reconciliation. That's a big deal too, right? Yeah. Like saying, okay, it's we're we're good here, right? We're all cooperating. Maybe this happens after um, there's been some sort of fight or agitation. And according to Chip Walter, writing for Scientific American, bonobos, which are genetically similar to us, although, of course, um, we are not their direct descendants, are a particularly passionate bunch. Again, the interpretation here. And uh, in in that article for Scientific American, Walter says that Franz B.M. DePaul, who, who is an Emory professor, uh, recounts a zookeeper who accepted what he thought would be a friendly kiss from one of the bonobos until he felt the ape's tongue in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you look to other animals, uh, you'll find other examples of sensory apparatus uh, engaging with each other. Snails uh, caressing antennas, uh, birds touching beaks. Uh, there's a lot of uh, snout licking going on. I mean, really, if you base your research just solely on YouTube clips, mm-hmm. then it seems like every animal kisses, especially animals that are pets, animals that we've uh, anthropomorphized to varying degrees, right? Yeah, and elephants, too, with their trunks entangled, yeah. right? 
And they've been uh, observed doing this before, too, and trying to calm each other down and um, what seems like calming each other down. I mean, if you break down a kiss into the into terms of one partner, particularly the, like, a female, getting some sensory information on a potential mate, mm-hmm. then you see the various examples. I mean, even a giraffe sampling urine is essentially the same sort of communication that's going on with a kiss. Yeah, and as Walter had indicated in that quote that I read at the beginning, a kiss can be so many different things. Mm-hmm. It can be sexually motivated, or it could be a cooperative kiss, right? Or as you had mentioned, kiss. too, there's like the, the kiss of death. So the motivations are just as varied as uh, anything else in the human experience or in the animal experience. Now, there's some additional benefits to uh, to kissing. Uh, uh, we already touched on uh, potential uh, microbiome-related uh, benefits, but just on a, a regular, like relieving daily stress level of activity, uh, it seems like a good, passionate kiss uh, here and there will definitely uh, set you right. Yeah, it'll reduce your stress hormone cortisol, thereby lowering blood pressure and optimizing your immune response. That's the thought, at least. And it could even uh, help fight cavities, right? Like if, if you swap spit with someone else via a kiss, then you may adopt a bacterial strain that can really fight against plaque that you lack. You, you mm-hmm. lack this bacterial strain. In fact, there's this idea that you could even one day have bacterial mouth transplants. I mean, you call them kisses, but <laughs> I mean, you could actively seek someone who has a great bacterial profile in their mouth and say, ah, I would like some of your saliva. Yeah, and, and also it's just worth noting that kissing, the very act of kissing also produces more saliva in your yeah. mouth, and, and more saliva is good if you want your your, your natural defenses against plaque to uh, take action. Indeed. Um, so that's kind of, you know, an overall, I mean, and it's just great too, right? Kissing is, is a pretty awesome thing. I like it. Um, it can uh, also apparently ease pain. There's there's some uh, evidence for this. Is a little little iffy. Beware yeah. of anyone who says they'll take your pain away uh, with a kiss. But um, you do have blood vessel dilation going on, uh, so arguably there can be some minor level of pain relief going on, or at least distraction. I That's guess. what I was thinking at the very least. Yeah. It's, it's distracting in a good way if it's welcomed, of course. Um, and let's let's talk about welcomed and unwelcomed kisses too. Because I read this a little bit. If you engage in kissing with your pets, mm-hmm. you might want to think twice. Uh, dogs can carry worms, fungi, and they can carry pathogenetic pastorella in their mouths. And cats don't even get started on cats. It's <laughs> like a far worse thing. Well, if you own either of these animals, and, and I own a cat, like you see what they do. You see where exactly. they go. You see what they're up to. Mm-hmm. All right. So there you have it. Um Hey, if you want more on this topic, other topics that we've covered in the past, go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find uh, all of our past episodes, our videos, our blog posts, links out to our social media accounts, information on how to contact us, pictures of what we look like, pretty much everything. It's the the mothership. Oh, and also uh, go to HowStuffWorks.com. Check out How Kissing Works by Tracy D. Wilson. Yeah, that's really a great good article. article. Goes into the history, goes into the you know, the muscles, the nerves, a lot of the information we've discussed here, and you can just uh, you can get it all illustrated out there for you uh, in the 10 pages or so. Yeah, also, real quick, um, if you are interested in uh, finding out more about that study, it's a 2014 study. It's called uh, Shaping the Oral Microbiota Through Intimate Kissing. That's the French kissing one. 80 million bacteria strong. All right, you have thoughts? Well, we would like to put our eyes on them. Please uh, send them our way, and you can do that by sending an email to blowthemind.com 
at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 